Open up to Genesis chapter 2. And as you're going to Genesis, I want you to use your imagination for a moment. Um, Imagine, I know it sounds weird, but imagine if you would, a world without marriage. You know, marriage is when a man and a woman, they enter into a sacred, legal, and biblically binding covenant with God and each other, right? Uh, To love and to cherish till death do us part. The good times, the bad times, I mean, we're there, we're committed for life, right? But what if that was no longer the heart of society? You know, no such thing as a husband or a wife for life. You know, maybe partners for a season, but that's about it. I do till I'm done. What if that was the way it was? You know, imagine a world that said this, you don't need to get married. And if you do get married, you don't need to stay married. Well, it really doesn't take much of an imagination to realize that this is a type of the world the enemy's trying to create. You know, that it's kind of like he's feeding us, he's leading us on this road that leads to that, you know, destination, you know? And so what I find today in this series is a warning in one sense of the danger that's ahead if we're not careful and how we need to do all that we can to avoid this and to make every right turn. I was even thinking even in my own heart, you know, by contemplating on what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our country, what's going on in our community, what's going on even sometimes in our congregations. You, you see people, you love people, they're serving and everything seems good. And then one day, boom, you get a phone call, you know, whatever, someone had an affair. Or, you know, they're, they're contemplating a divorce now. And so, as a pastor, I mean, I know for sure that family is a fabric of society. And I know for sure, because marriage was instituted before government. Marriage was instituted before religion. I mean, marriage is huge, really. I mean, I know that Adam had a relationship with God, but we're talking about an organized, established religion. First was marriage. That tells you how awesome it is how awesome it is and how important it is to God. And so if it's important to God, you got to understand that enemy is going to come against it with everything he has. And that's why, you know, you go to the prisons and you visit those guys that are there. 90% of them are in prison because they didn't have a dad. I mean, I'm not making an excuse for them. All I'm saying is that that's the vulnerability of life without a family. What we need to do is understand the danger of what's happening today and prayerfully come back to where we need to be. You know, husband and wife, maybe you're here today and you're having hard times. Maybe there are some husbands or wives that are watching and, you know, they're ready to give it up. They're ready, you know, I'm done with this thing, you know. Or maybe you're here and you're a single person. You're like, I'm not going to do that because there's a lot of problems there. I'm not even going to get married. Some people have that mentality. Or I'll marry whoever, you know, as long as... You know, whatever, I have somebody and I have this financial stability and companionship. And so what we need to do is, you guys, just come back to this and realize how important it is. And I, I think that when we do, we realize that these are the times that we're living in where the enemy is fighting family tooth and nail. Remember, we go back to that, that, that verse in First Chronicles 12.32 of the sons of Issachar. These were guys that understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so we're living in a world now where if you were to talk to the Hollywood celebrities, which a lot of people are following and are worshiping and are looking up to, they would say, well, you don't really need to stay married. You know, I was even reading about Will Smith, and a lot of us will watch the, the, the TV programs that this guy stars in and i'm not saying you can't but whatever you do don't follow his example he and his wife are in an open marriage 
And so they're married, but they can be with, with whoever they want to be. That's the mentality that we have. That's the mentality that this world, you know, the social media, the, the music, um, Hollywood, I mean, you know, the government, schools, and society. There was a time, and I'm not saying it necessarily always has to be this way, but there was a time where you couldn't even be a police officer if you had a divorce. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go back to that standard. All I'm saying is that there is a morality that is going so far down that it's becoming more and more acceptable to go ahead and just, you know, get a divorce. Marriage is, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm not happy. I'm, I'm out of here. And so what I want to do is we're, we're understanding what's going on in the world that we live in. We'll talk about four lies today in the land, and then we'll share a little bit about what God says, so that you guys that are married, myself, I've been married since 1992. I always have to do the math. Um, and uh, all I know is that I'm not done. You know, I'm a pastor. The enemy would love to take me down. I'm not done. I think about it. Lord, what if, you know, I mean, I look forward and who knows, maybe we're going to get raptured. Maybe the Lord will come in another 20, 30 years. Maybe I'll be there 20 years and hopefully I go first. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but, you know, I'll have my wife by my hand and she'll be holding my hand and I'll be saying, sweetheart, we made it. We made it. You know, going, getting old together. I don't know, but it's not done. That I know it's not done. Because the devil hates marriage. And so uh, I want to encourage you guys, you know, fight for your marriage. God hates divorce. He hates divorce because he knows what it does to everyone around you. Do you realize the devastation of it? So we got to know that. And so we got to know, you know, that he hates divorce and he hates everything that leads to divorce. You know, there are two reasons the Bible says you can get divorced. Number one, through adultery. And number two, through abandonment. And so whatever you do, put safeguards around you that you don't, lead, you don't go to, towards that uh, adultery, you know? And today we're living in a world where you just pick up your phone and you can look at pornography there. That's how it starts. It might even start with soft pornography. You know, but then you start getting this lust in your heart or start having an emotional affair at work or with whatever, someone that's dominating your thoughts. You got to be careful with all that stuff. And so we have to value this. Now, one thing I want to uh, share is I know a lot of people have gotten divorced, you know, because of the fact that, I don't know, 40, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And so uh, I'm sure there are some here or maybe watching that have experienced that. And some have had biblical divorces and, and some haven't. The, the purpose here is not to condemn you. The purpose here is to say, okay, now let's start over. Let's look forward. And if you're single, you've got to know what you're getting into. It's important for us to understand what the scriptures say. And so it's a good plug for the marriage fellowship. I pray that if you're married or engaged that you will sign up for that. Um, because uh, we have to, like Randy said, invest in our marriages. Even though sometimes we feel uncomfortable, we're like, oh, they're probably going to make me talk or whatever. You know what? We all need to be there. I know I do. And so some of the lies that we'll talk about today. Number one, there's no need to get married. The world will tell you that. There's no need to get married. You can live together. You can live together. Or you can just um, stay single and have fun. Right? Number two, that there's no need to stay married, you know, because it's hard and it's tough. 
Listen, um, what we find is that that's what marriage is. It's going to be difficult at times, but it's through those. They say that, you know, sometimes people will look at a marriage and they'll say it's like these nice strings that are attached, you know, like these uh, whatever lace, when in all reality, they're like strands of steel that are forged in the fire. When you go through those difficult times with your eyes on the Lord, you'll usually come out stronger. So, Number one, there's no need to get married. Number two, there's no need to stay married. Number three, that marriage is not divine in origin, that it wasn't really God who made it. Well, listen, if it's not divine, then we can redefine it and we can redesign it and then you're in big trouble. No, it's divine. God gave it to us and therefore we have to see how he wants it to function. And then number four, Marriage is for our happiness. And you know, the, the world will tell you that. Well, that's, that's why you want to get married, because you're not happy. And if you get married, it'll make you happy. And I, I don't know if that's how we should approach marriage. I'm not saying that we don't have a desire to get married as a single person. Yes, but listen, you have to establish your relationship with God in such a way that you're happy with God, that God makes you happy. Because marriage, some days are great, probably most days are great, but some days are very, very difficult when you're married. So you can't look to marriage to make you happy. As a matter of fact, you can't look to anyone else to ever make you happy. You know, you go into it and they let you down. You go into it and you see their, hu- their humanity, their frailty, the way that they're broken. I mean, it doesn't always work that way. You know, I have talked to some couples over the years, and they say, you know what, marriage is easy, we never fight. And I just, man, I am so happy for them. But as a pastor, I'm just telling you, most people are going to have very difficult times because you're two sinners, two porcupines, (laughs) trying to live together. So let's look at the institution, and then we'll look at the constitution of marriage. First, the institution. Now, going to Genesis chapter 2, all the way down to verse 18, it just talks up to that point about everything was good. God made the heavens and the earth and the light and the night and everything was good. The sun, the stars, you know, the plants, the seas, the firmament, the atmosphere, the skies, the, the animals. It was all good. God made Adam. It was all good. And we read, Though in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, for the first time, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Have you guys ever heard that expression? It's all good. You guys just say that all the time, huh? It's all good. It's all good. Well, there was literally a time when it was all good. Not just all things working together for good. There was a time that it was all good, right? And then the day came, eventually the day came in God's timing after Adam had established the priority of his life and that is his personal relationship with God. It was then that the Lord said, it's not good. Now it's not good for this person to be alone. God said, I will make a helper comparable to him. And so God identified the problem, and then God offered the solution, right? And so we read in Genesis 2 and verse 19 that out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. 
And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so imagine the day Adam sees, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Zebra, Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros. You know, he's giving them all their names, right? And the Lord doesn't just give us this verse in random. He has a purpose for it. And basically what he's saying is that man is not an animal. You know, out of all these animals, and you can even talk about Mr. and Mrs. Ape or whatever it is. Listen, we're not animals. We are created in the image of God. We are social, rational, moral, and spiritual beings. And so he's looking at them all. He's naming them all. But out of all, there was no helper comparable to him. And so the Lord establishes that. And then we read in Genesis 2, in verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And so, you know, this is kind of like God moving in marriage, right? And so let me ask you a question. Whose idea was this? It was God's, right? What was Adam doing at this point? He was sleeping. And not just sleeping, he was like knocked out, right? And then while he was sleeping, God reaches in, uh, and it says that that God grabbed a rib, but in the Hebrew language, there's no word for rib. So literally, God reached into the closest place of his heart, pulled out what we know now as a rib, fashioned it into a woman, and and he brought her to the man. You know, when you look at the first marriage, it's just absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. You know, when you think about God making the woman from this closest place in his heart, that's where she came from. I mean, God could have made her from the thin air. God could have made her from the dust. God could have spoken her into existence, but he didn't. He made her out of man. He made her out of this closest place from his heart. And, and so when you look at this, not just for man, but from man, there is like a unity here. There is like a oneness here that is so deep. He doesn't just do it randomly. He does it in a wonderful way. And, and it's important for husband and wife to see this. Because when Adam, when he discovers what happens, when he wakes up, it's then that he, he names her. In Genesis 2.23, when Adam woke up, in verse 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And every once in a while, I'll hear a wife say or a husband say, you know, about the kids. Well, the kids are closer because they're flesh. They're, they're flesh. You know, we're not really flesh. Oh, yes, you're flesh. If you're if you're of the same flesh, if you're married, that's what we see right here. She's bone of my bones. She's flesh of my flesh. Oh yes, you're flesh. Oh yes, you're one. And when Adam woke up, he saw it, and that's why it's important for husbands to see it, for for women to see it. I'll bet you almost anything, and it doesn't say right here, but I'll bet you almost anything, God told Adam, okay, now you name her. 
Just like you named all the animals, you, you name her. What are you going to call her, Adam? What are you going to call her? And he could have named her anything. You know, not talking about personal names. We're talking about nature. What, what, what will her, you know, that be? And, and he says, well, you know, um, uh, no doubt, you know, she's from me, but she's definitely different than me. She's comparable to me, but there's, she's so much more beautiful than me. I'm man, and I'm like, whoa, man, you're beautiful. <laughs> Can you imagine how beautiful she was? Can you imagine? Well, that's how we have to see it. Now, in the Hebrew, it's not man and woman. In the Hebrew, it's ish and isha. And there's that relatableness, there's the comparableness, but there's also the oppositeness. Because Isha and Isha are like two pieces of a puzzle. They're opposite, but they fit together. And that's why we're so different than our spouse. A lot of times, you know, we resent the fact that they see things differently than me. We resent the fact that, you know, they're not as mellow as me or they're not as, you know, upbeat as me or they're not, you know, why do they like this and I like something completely different? Why am I so messy and she's so neat or whatever it might be? And those things sometimes, you know, they, uh, they rub us the wrong way and, and, and yet it was all part of God's design. You're going to see that before you were born, God had a mission for you two together. Together. And those components and those distinctions are supposed to be that way. So don't let it get you upset. Don't let it rub you the wrong way. Embrace the differences. Because you're Ish and, and she's Isha. And I've found over the years in my life that I, I thank God for the fact that we're, we're different. Because God knew exactly what I needed because like I said earlier, you know, you're here and you're like, well, I'm not happy in my marriage. I'm not happy. There are some people who are not happy. Well, I mean, I want you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. But that is not the primary reason for your marriage or life at all. You'll be happy in heaven for sure. But, but our primary mission and, and reason and purpose of marriage even is to be holy. I will use him and I will use her to sanctify you if you'll let me. I'll use him and I'll use her to kind of take away the pride, to take away the, the laziness, to take away the things that get in the way of me trying to use you for the kingdom. And so this, this is why it's good for the guys. It's okay to call your wife woman. Hey, woman. I love you. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. That works sometimes. <laughs> Peter does that. Where's Peter at? <laughs> so God does the marriage, and notice now the application. Verse 24, Genesis 2, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so, again, it's important for us to realize that it was not Adam who did it. It was not Eve who did it. It was not human in origin. It was divine that God did this thing. He brought these two together. And the application is therefore now a man shall leave. All of the relationships become secondary at best. Okay, sometimes for uh, some people, it's their friends that get in the way. Or sometimes it's other family members. Or sometimes it's mom and dad. 
And all he's saying is right here, listen, it's okay, you still have parents, you still have friends, there's a place, and you guys will work all the details out on that. But as far as the primary relationship goes, those are secondary at best. You leave all other relationships, and now you cleave to your spouse. You hold on tight, and you never let go. Through all the good times, and they may be trying to get out, and you're like, no, I will not let you go. I will leave and I will cleave. And then what he says right here in the two, they become one, one flesh. And there's a lot to that, you know, but what we find is that is the, 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 the result. Um, when you get married, God makes you one immediately, positionally one. Immediately, you're positionally one. But from a practical perspective, that's going to usually take time. That's usually going to happen when there is that commitment. And so we see here uh, the result, what happens at the end in verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so I'm not 100% sure what that means. I know this is before the fall. And so there was no sin, you know, in either of their lives. But I do know this, though, that being around my wife or, you know, how it is being around family you know, you just be yourself. You can just be yourself and you feel comfortable. There's that unconditional love. Even though they might slap you around sometimes. They just, you just know you can just be me. I can, all the walls fall down. This is who I am. You're the only one I can be like this around. They were naked and they were not ashamed. There was that grace. There was that unconditional love. And so, you know, when we're looking at, listening to the things that the world has to say, you know, what we have to do is go to the original marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And so what I want to do next is go over to Matthew chapter 19. And you can also read this in Mark chapter 10. But in, in Matthew 19... It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Now, so Judea, you're getting closer to Jerusalem now, right? And so the Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, in those days, there were two schools of thought, kind of like there is today. There were some rabbis who said, you know what, you can divorce for whatever reason, irreconcilable differences, you know, she burns your food, she talks too loud, whatever, you find someone else. I mean, can you, am I, is it just me, or isn't that the world that we live in today, where basically they say, hey, you know, you guys have been together for a while, this Hollywood couple's been together for a while, and isn't the message that they're sending, it's like, okay, well, now you found someone else, now you're just kind of like buttonheads, you know, now you can just go on your merry way, and you can move on with your life. I mean, we even have some, and it just breaks my heart, this family, this beautiful family, they have kids, and it's like, they're done. And it's like, well, wait a minute, Lord, how does, why? There was a school of thought just like there is today. There was the conservative side and there was this side right here. Today in the world, be honest, which side is winning? I mean, you even have even in the church, a lot of people who just get divorces. 
And they don't have biblical grounds. So they were asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell us, you know, what your opinion is. And the Lord says here in verse 4, have you not read? Have you not read the Bible? That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. And read that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's how God sees them. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Listen, I know the world is saying it's okay. I know the world is saying that if you're not happy, move on. I know the world is saying these things. But what what Jesus says here is that if you go back to the original marriage, the institution of marriage, now we're looking at the constitution of marriage. When God looks at them, they're one. What God did, God made them one. And what God has joined together, how dare you separate? And so the Pharisees then said, well, time out. Hold on a second. They said in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and, and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, there it is, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. There are some who think I can just get a divorce and then I'm going to marry someone else. And the Lord says, when I look at your marriage, I want you to know you are living in constant adultery. That's what Jesus says. Unless it's a biblical divorce, they're living in adultery. And the Bible says that no adulterer or no fornicator will enter the kingdom of God. So think about that for a second. And so in verse 8, again, Moses said this because of the hardness of their hearts. Jesus said in verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for a sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And so one of the things, and just in case you're wondering, well, can you get a divorce? Um, there, are, there are grounds for divorce, um, adultery. If your spouse commits adultery, and you can move on. You're free to move on. But I will say this as a pastor, that I have seen the Lord work it out sometimes. And so it's something that's very, very difficult because the Lord acknowledges the fact that sometimes an adulterous relationship deals the marriage a death blow. So adultery is permitted. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul said, if the non-believer departs, if that person just leaves you, then yeah, you can get a divorce. And so you've got those two things in the Bible. The third thing I would say this, and I just want to say this because sometimes there are some people who experience this. If you're getting beat up, listen, ladies, don't ever let that guy lay a hand on you. So you can leave and you should talk to your pastor and we should try to approach that in a biblical way. So adultery, abandonment, and physical abuse, okay? So the Lord says here, yeah, Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your heart, but from the beginning, it wasn't like that. This is not God's heart regarding marriage. And so he says, this is how binding it is. I mean, you, you guys that are single, and you're praying about getting married, or one day you're going to get married, please understand that you're entering into a covenant for the rest of your life. And so it's important to know that. And so the disciples, look what they said. 
They said in verse 10, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> At least they understood what he was saying, right? But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying about being single, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it, let him accept it. And so basically, the disciples say, hey, it's better not to get married. It's better just to stay single. And there were some, unfortunately, who thought that was uh, the, the right thing to do. But Jesus said, no, no, it's not like that. Unless you have the gift of singleness, you should get married. And so for those of you who are single, uh, I want to encourage you to kind of like do what Adam did. Adam was just walking with the Lord Adam was doing the things that God called him to do. And then when the day was right, God said, okay, now it's not good for that person to be alone. As Adam is just seeking the Lord and serving the Lord, God brought someone to him. Now, I'm not saying you can't put yourself in places where there might be single people. And of course, you can pray about those things. But if that becomes a priority in your life, if that's what you begin to focus on, if that becomes your passion, then it becomes an idol. And like I said earlier, happiness is not in marriage or in another person. Happiness is rooted in your relationship with God. But if you don't have the gift of singleness, if you have a desire to be married, that's okay. The Lord says, hey, there are some who have the gift. There are some who are forced to do it. Um, there are some who made that decision. But listen, 1 Corinthians 7, it says not everyone has that gift. And basically what we see, you guys, is that when it comes to marriage, the Lord takes us all back to the original marriage. Because if you can understand this, then you're going to be okay. And so with that in mind, and there's a million other things I'd like to share, but we just don't have time. Let's just look at these four lies that we're hearing in the world, in the land about marriage. Number one, there's no need to get married. The world says um, you can stay single Right? You can stay single and have fun. And what do they do? They're sleeping around. They're having sex here, there, and everywhere. Because 1 Corinthians 7, it says it's better to marry than to burn in passion. And so, um, you know, the world will say, hey, stay single. Or the world will say, you could just live together. You know, cohabitate together. And Basically, the reason I bring that up is because more and more people are doing those things. More and more people are staying single. More and more people are just living together. And they're doing it without that, that sacred binding covenant before their creator and each other till death do us part. And so all I'm saying to you is don't do it. Don't ever, ever live with someone. I mean, if you're going to come together, if God's brought you together, then you get married. It's very important because otherwise you're living in sin. You know, what we find regarding that is that they say, statistics say that if you live with someone you, and then eventually you get married, you know, your chances, your statistics of having a successful marriage, they just go all the way down. Some people say, well, we got to try it out and see if it works out, see if we're compatible but that's doing your thing, doing things your way. So, so I, we've had, you know, 
cases where people are living together and we just say, hey, let's, let's do this, man. You go down, you get your certificate, let's get you married right away. You know, of course, those are things that we have to talk about, but that's the lie of the world. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we should not, you know, remain single. Um, one of the things that we saw in Genesis is that marriage is a lifelong cure for loneliness. I mean, you think you can bounce around from relationship to relationship to relationship and really fill the heart that you need, the void that you need for that true and genuine lifelong companionship? No way. You know, again, I know my battle is not over, but I've found my companion. God brought her to me. And Lord willing, you know, we don't know. No one has tomorrow guaranteed. But Lord willing, we'll get old together. And I'm not going to go from, you know, that one to that one to that one. Again, like I said, I'm not telling you guys to look back. All I'm telling you to do is is from this point on, look forward. And we're going to go through the difficulties. You know, the commitment, the marriage, is kind of like a violin. It doesn't really work unless the strings are attached. You need that covenant. You need that commitment. You need to get married, not just live together. You know, it's a cure for loneliness. It it meets our sexual needs, and it it carries on the atmosphere for the procreation of family. Because like I said earlier, you know, you got these guys in jail, 90% of them, they don't, they don't have, they didn't have a dad. And so, you know, my prayer is that we would understand these things. It's so important. Look, if you would, to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. In verse 13 of Malachi 2, just in case you didn't know, it's also known as Malachi And it is the last book of the Old Testament. And it says in verse 13, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. I mean, these were guys, priests, that were, God wasn't even hearing their prayers. God wasn't even receiving their offering. And then they said in verse 14, For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion. There it is. And your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. I mean, God takes marriage seriously. He really does. And here we see the book of Malachi. They, they were divorcing their wives. Even the priests were. And one of the interesting things about it is then he didn't speak to them for another 400 years. That's how important this is, guys. For those of you who are single, know what you're getting into. It's a commitment for the rest of your life to the sickness and health, richer, poorer, good times, bad times, till death do us part, right? And and then, you know, when you're there, I pray we would know this companionship that we have. You know, we have a big problem today with sexual sin. And that's why, ladies, um, if you have a guy that, you know, says, hey, if you love me, you know, let's be together, or sometimes we see the pressure, that's not the guy that you want. That's not the guy that you want. 
you know, for us, we're living in a world that just, it almost like it, it feeds off this sexual machine. So much money is being made through pornography. So much money is being made through the advertisements, uh, through the machinery, entertainment. Um, you know, and if you really want to get a guy to look at this, whatever the ad is, you just got to have a gal dressed a certain way. And so it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So guys, make sure you are not okay with looking at that stuff in any way. Guys, I'm telling you, man. The world, the devil goes fishing and he puts that bait right there, right in front of you. And you got these phones. I mean, and you're looking at that stuff all the time. And you know what I'm talking about. And you know, even the sports you know, announcers or commentators or, you know, things. And, you know, guard yourself. Because Jesus said, if you look at a woman in order to lust for her, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And what happens is you start looking, you're going to start wanting. And it just, it just feeds the flesh. And so I just encourage you only because I know that, you know, when I look at marriages and I talk to people, that it's the sexual sin, it's the adultery that leads to divorce. You know, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And so that's why, you know, get married. You know, you get married, you have your lifelong compa. You know, <laughs> when you get married, you, you know, you're fulfilling sexual uh, uh, needs that we have, right? And then within that confines, you get to enjoy one another and have a place where you can raise a family. Because God said right there in Malachi, why did I make them one? Because I want godly offspring. So line number one, there's no need to get married. Line number two, is there no need, there's no need to stay married, right? And so divorce in the world that we live in is perfectly acceptable, Um People almost don't blink an eye, right? But what we saw today is unbiblical divorce is sin. And if you don't repent and you go ahead and get married again, then you're living in adultery. And so unless you have biblical grounds for divorce, listen, it is not an option. You know, we find ourselves, and like I said earlier, you know, we, we go through difficulties. I remember when my wife and I, we went through a class on um marriage when we were new believers and the guy put up on the the chalkboard death this is marriage death and i was like what <laughs> but it is but it's not until you die that you live and why is it that so many people are having problems or bumping heads is because they don't want to die to self they don't then you'll never live right doesn't the bible say in romans chapter six we're buried with him and then we're raised to life. And so, you know, when you start, you know, fulfilling those roles that God has given to you as husband and wife, then you will experience the blessing. You know, it's bad enough that secular world has discounted marriage into a quasi-legal contract that kind of like other contracts can be made or broken at any will. The greater tragedy is the failure of Christians to manage marriage, take marriage uh, seriously. Here's what ends up happening. A society that does not believe in God 
will eventually not believe in marriage. And so line number three is marriage is not divine in origin. It's not divine in origin. And so the world will tell you, sociologists will tell you, I was reading an article today, psychologists will tell you that marriage is not divine. And so if it's not divine, if it's not from God, then we can redefine it and we can redesign it. And we can even throw it out altogether. But marriage is from God. And I think in one sense, we're almost done with this series. Lord willing, we're going to get into the book of James eventually. But the things that we've looked at, the, the Western civilization that's gone from sacred to secular, the church, which has gone from sacred to secular, the sanctity of life, it's gone from sacred to secular, and now marriage as well. If we would only acknowledge God who made everything, God who established the church, God who gives life, God who instituted marriage, then we would be okay. But when we go from sacred to secular, which is godly to God less and less and less God, then of course we're going to run into problems. Listen, marriage, we saw it right there. It was God's idea. It was instituted by him. Marriage is divine. Therefore, we cannot redefine it. We cannot redesign it because it was given to us by God. And so today we're trying to redefine it. We do till we're done, male and male, female and female. No, it's male and female, sacred, binding, biblical covenant till death do us part, to love and to cherish. You know, when we look at marriage, um, I don't know, this is kind of a weird uh, example, but you guys know I'm a little weird sometimes. Not as weird as Randy, but I am kind of weird. <laughs> I uh, I was thinking of pozole. I don't know if I say that right. Pozole. How many of you guys like pozole? Who makes it? I'm just curious. So I don't know. Like I originally, I always thought it had to be pork, right? And so when you make it with chicken, can it still be called pozole? It can. I think that's a technicality. Well, you can say it's chicken pozole, right? Okay, we'll give you that. So, you know, but sometimes I think we take it too far. Like, for example, I was thinking of the word carriage. And the word carriage is an interesting word where you've got this, you know, mode of transportation where two people or so sit and you've got four, you know, horses or two horses that are carrying it through. But what if I was to take something and I, rather than making it, you know, where people can sit upon, I make it flat and instead in the front I got these dogs that are pulling the whole thing, right? That's not, you can call it a carriage if you want, but that's a dog sled. <laughs> and they can call it marriage if they want, but if it's not by God's design, then really it's not. I mean, the other day I was able to um, put in some sprinklers, and the only way, reason I was able to do it, and actually I can't believe it, man, cutting you know the PVC pipe and putting that blue stuff and whatever, all that things, and then the, the sprinkler uh, the irrigation controllers or whatever they're called is because I had a book that was telling me step by step how to do it. I had my YouTube videos helping me through it, right? That's what the Bible is for marriage, so if it's divine, then we can't redefine, we can't redesign. Husbands, this is what you do. Now the world may say husbands don't do that, or wives, this is your role and responsibility to according to the script. Now the world may say you don't do that, girl. 
now you're, you're, you're missing the point that it's, it's divine. It, it's not yours to redesign or redefine. And God knows how it functions at its best. And you start reading through the Bible. Husbands, love and lead your wife. Love and lead her. You be the one to say, let's pray. You be the one to say, let's read the Bible. You be the one to say, let's serve. You be the one to say, get up, honey, sweetheart, let's go. You serve her, yes, by leading her, but you got to love her, it says, the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He died for her. Now, let me ask you a question, husbands, because a lot of times husbands, and I'm the same way. I am the same way because I fall short a lot. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I can't believe she's uh, whatever, and you know, you get all mad. <laughs> and 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 then I, I start thinking, okay, I'm called to love her the way that Christ loved the church, and He died for her. Now, so let me ask you a question: Getting nailed to a cross, how does that feel? It doesn't feel good, but He saved us in that process. And that's what I got to do. Pray for me. (laughs) I have to die to myself. And it hurts because what it is, is it pierces my pride. You know, I got to love her the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, you got to know your role. You got to know your responsibility. Wives, it talks about being supportive and being submissive. Some wives don't like that. What are you talking about? This is the 21st century or whatever. You know, I'm not going to be submissive. I'm going to call the shots. He may be the head, but I'm the neck, and I'm going to have my way. It's divine. We can't redefine, and we can't redesign. God knows how it functions in its highest. Now, when it works right, you know, the Bible does say submitting to one another and all that kind of stuff. But whatever you do, please, and I just beg of you this, and I, if I could just ask you this, wives, don't tell your husbands what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to love me. You do your part. And husbands, don't tell your wives what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to submit. Because it doesn't work. I tried it. <laughs> we have to, like I read today, Greg Laurie, as I said, just study, we have to read our own male see the world says don't get married the world says well if you do get married you don't have to stay married the the world says that marriage is not divine in origin and, and yet it is and the world says number four that marriage is for our happiness it's for our happiness i read a story about a little girl she was talking to her mom and they were just kind of sharing the whole snow white story and I guess the little girl had heard it for the first time, you know, and then the prince and all that kind of stuff. And as she's closing the story, nearing the end, the mom says, okay, what happened at the end? And the mom said, well, aren't you going to finish it? And she's uh, looking at her mom, and then the mom says, oh, they lived happily ever after. And the little girl said, no, they got married. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> the little girl actually said that. Can you believe it? Now, my prayer, my prayer you guys, is that you find your Prince Charming and that you find your Snow White or whatever, you know. My prayer is that you are happy in your life. But, I mean, just for us as Christians, knowing the world that we live in, knowing the sinners that we are, it's not that easy, you guys. Psalm 144 and verse 15, it says, Happy are the people who are in such a state 
Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. It doesn't say happy are the people who are married. Or happy are the people who found a good husband. Or happy are the people who found a good wife. I mean, prayerfully, that is the case. But I think if you've been a Christian long enough, you have realized that our life is not about a superficial, emotional happiness. It is about a holiness. And I think ultimately that's what marriage is primarily about. It's for the glory of God and for us to be a holy people. You know, when the wife, she does her role, Proverbs, it talks about the husband in his place. Man, he's so blessed by his wife who's supportive and submissive. And when the husband does his role in Ephesians 5, loving her, and Peter also talks about it in chapter 3, a lot to learn on this. But when he does his role, it says, and then, you know, she's this beautiful bride blossoming, we can't compare one to another because every person's different. Every person has a different mental makeup, biological makeup, different experiences. Whatever you do, don't compare yourself to people. But man, he presents her to himself, himself this glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The most influential person in your life will be your spouse. Prayerfully, you know, we, we use it for good. And so, you guys, a lot to talk about. Um, I pray if you're here today and, you know, you're married and maybe you're struggling, that you would get your eyes back on the Lord. Take your eyes off your spouse. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Find out what he's calling you to do as a husband, as a wife, and do it. Do it with a reckless abandon. I was thinking about my marriage, you know, because I came... You know, a lot of like a lot of you here, I didn't have a mom and dad, you know, there. I didn't, you know. And uh, some of you guys didn't even know, you know, your dad. And, and here we are as Christians trying to do the right thing. And I'm like, Lord, how did I, how, how have I made it this far? How have I made it this far? And I was just thinking, God's grace. God's grace. And it's because I love him. I love him. And that's kind of how it'll work, you guys. The Lord will give you the power, Ephesians 5.18, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you guys will be blessed. We can't do anything. We can't do anything unless, first of all, we become Christians. And then secondly, we get filled with the Holy Spirit. So just in case you're here or maybe watching and you're not a Christian, that's where it starts. Jesus loves you. He died on a cross for you. He rose again. Do you really know the Lord? If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Are you sure? If not, that's why you're here. First and foremost, give your life to Christ. Are you a committed follower of Jesus? That's where it starts. And then for those of us who are Christians, you can always tell when you're walking in your own strength. often every day every day every moment don't let your guard down